Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today I'm actually a little stressed about the findings of a new study. Recently published this January, the American Academy of Pediatrics issued a formal policy statement on toxic stress and its lingering effects on children well into adulthood. With important research for any new parent, our guest today is an author of this report and director at the Center on the Developing Child at Harvard University. Welcome to the EdCast for the second time, Professor and Dr. Jack Shankoff. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. Dr. Shankoff, let's get a quick, um, let's have a quick talk about stress. Before we get to toxic stress, there's other kinds of stress here and quite a few responses to stress amongst children. Well, let me start by um, helping you relax a little bit about this. Thank you, thank you, my blood pressure. Um, (laughs) Because um, they're, um, not all stress is bad, okay? So, um, and our approach to this is really from the biological point of view, how stress actually gets into your body and, and what it can do to you. So the, probably the most important message to start with is that um, a stress-free life is not a healthy life for a child. Children need to learn to deal with stress. They need to learn how to build capacities to cope with adversity. So this is not about stress equals bad. Um, in fact, there's a fair amount of stress beginning very early in life that we call positive stress. This is the stress of the first day in a preschool program or the stress of having to share your toys or being told you have to go in for a nap. Um, This is part of normal development and what children do is they learn how to deal with that stress with the help of adults who um, uh, provide support and provide good modeling for dealing with stress. Uh, There's a second level of stress that's potentially a little bit more threatening. We call this tolerable stress. Um, This is the stress associated not with being told you can't eat all the candy you want. This is the stress associated with um, a serious illness or death in the family, stress associated with a natural disaster like Hurricane Katrina or the tsunami in Japan, Um, the stress of 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 a very contentious divorce and a breakup of a family where we ask the question, um, you know, are are children going to be harmed by this? Will there be any after effects? And and most of the research we have suggests that children can get through these difficult times if adults help them by giving them a sense of security, helping model good adaptation, good coping skills, building resilience. So all of that is stress that does not do harm. The stress that does harm is what we call toxic stress, and I'll be glad to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it seems like a bulk of a lot of the research, especially in pediatrics, is about toxic stress and just how detrimental it is to a child, not just in their childhood, but how it affects the rest of their life. Right, so the important thing for people to understand is that the definition of toxic stress as we talk about it is not related to what causes the stress. It's related to how a child is able to get help dealing with it. So toxic stress means excessive prolonged activation of your stress response system without any adult support to help you get through. This is the stress associated with chronic neglect, recurrent abuse, um, repeated exposure to violence, um, living alone in a, uh, living in a family with a serious mental illness and no consistent responsiveness, deep poverty that affects day to day, just barely getting by. Um, and what's important is that children don't have adults who help them cope. And so their stress system is overactivated. By that I mean the heart rate is up, the blood pressure is up, your blood sugar is up, stress hormones are coursing through your body, your inflammatory system is, is on fire. All of which, um, in an acute situation, kind of helps you deal with threat. 
But if these things stay elevated and activated, they actually can have a wear and tear effect on the body. I think what's really interesting, the article mentions that the consequences of early adversity uh, are no less real a danger for children than the effects of poor nutrition or exposure to lead. Is it true to assume toxic stress may be more difficult to identify or diagnose? Well, you know, this is a, a, a new area of research, so that although the concept of toxic stress is very well grounded in science, what we have not done yet is to work on the biological measurement. And there's no, there's no blood test for toxic stress. There's no, there's no diagnostic test, nor is there a test to show that toxic stress disappeared. It's a concept. Um, but what we do know from decades of research is that these chemicals in the body and these physiological responses that can harm brain circuits, that can accelerate atherosclerosis and lead to premature heart disease, that can have prolonged elevation of your blood sugar and, and lead to insulin resistance and diabetes, the kinds of things that we see more commonly in children who grow up under very stressful circumstances. Children who grow up in poverty have more problems learning, have more problems with physical and mental health, and it's not, this is not about motivation, this is not about, this is about the physical effects of chronic stress. So this is a hugely important new frontier in biology, and uh, a lot of that work we're, we're doing here at Harvard, and what we're hoping is that will give us new insights into how we can identify children most at risk for chemical changes inside your body that are kind of as dangerous as the chemical effects of lead. It's like, and then um, protect children from this, ideally prevent it, and when it can't be prevented, to help reduce the impacts. I'm curious, some of the early sort of interventions of this, what, what has the medical community been doing? Uh, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? And kind of what are your recommendations for what they should be doing? Right. So what's exciting about the American Academy of Pediatric Support is that it really puts a stake in the ground and says we need, um, we need to be doing some things differently in the healthcare system. So the medical system does a really good job for children in terms of routine checkups, screening, immunizations, monitoring nutrition, identifying problems early. But the medical standard pediatric practice has not been oriented toward focusing on and actively reducing sources of toxic stress. So this is a, this is a brand new area. It's an area where not only do we, do we need to understand the phenomenon better, but we have to develop new strategies and new interventions. So we know that children have, who have many risk factors for poor outcomes um, are more likely to have uh, learning problems and health problems. Our response to that has been, on the learning side, providing enrichment, preschool programs. On the health side, it's been monitoring health and making sure that problems are picked up early. So the new frontier here, and what's exciting about the American Academy of Pediatrics report, is to say we need a new generation of interventions that are not just identifying risk factors, but that are building protection against the physiological consequences of that. Um, a lot of this will probably play out, I'm speculating now, in new approaches to building the capacities of caregivers, both in the family and in programs, to help children develop coping skills with adversity. Obviously, it would be best to prevent the adversity, but in the absence of that, to build coping skills. And that doesn't come just from talking to children and reading to them. It comes from actual skill building. What's, what seems really interesting about this research is it's not just limited this. This is very impactful on not just the health community, but all different disciplines because 
children everywhere are you know experiencing the toxic stress and all sorts of different from education to health to public policy they can all do something about this absolutely and this is also a call as is stated explicitly in the report to break down the wall between pediatrics and adult medicine because what we're learning now is that these early physiological disruptions um, in many cases are the roots of adult disease so if we want to prevent heart disease and hypertension and stroke in adults um, what this science is telling us is that it, it's, we're not going to do that by trying to get 40-year-olds to start eating better and exercising more. We have to start much earlier in life, not only because of behavior patterns that get established, but also actual physiological changes that happen early in the body. But, but I want to keep coming back to emphasizing this fact that stress in and of itself is not the problem. It's excessive stress in the absence of adults helping children deal with stress. It's a very important distinction. No parent or professional should listen to what I'm saying and feel, oh my goodness, you know, I have to make sure my child doesn't experience any stress. That is not healthy to be protected from all stress. It's the chronic activation of the stress system day after day, week after week, month after month. That's the problem. What have been some of the reactions to your publication since it's come out this month? Well, it's been very gratifying. I mean, I think there's been, you know, there was um, Nick Kristoff in the New York Times wrote a column about this that got a lot of attention. Um, I think people across the board in the early childhood community focused on education as well as health um, have kind of perked their ears up uh, and um, listened carefully about this. This is a real, this is not just reporting interesting science. This is a call to action. This is a call to action to say that, that children who experience significant adversity, who we know are at risk for lifelong problems in, in educational achievement and in health, um, could be helped a lot better by a kind of a new generation of interventions. Not instead of what we're doing right now, but enhancing that for that relatively small but important part of the population that experiences excessive stress in the child welfare system, for example, would be a very important place to start. Children who've been abused or neglected for, for long periods of time. The, this tells us the answer is not just um, check to make sure there are no broken bones, and if the home is not deemed to be safe, let's just find a foster care placement. It, it's a call to action to say we need to look at the, the effect of this adversity internally on the development of the brain, and the development of other organ systems and have new interventions that will help to buffer children from these adverse And if you can just kind of brainstorm with some of our audience about uh, mostly educators, mostly influencers, mostly people in the system, teachers, uh, policymakers, what, what can they start to do in terms of either helping to combat toxic stress or, or recognize it? Well, for starters, um, we need to be paying much more attention to the most common um, precipitants of toxic stress, um, chronic neglect, serious abuse, children who have um, been exposed to the unremittent daily pressures of, of adversity. This also leads us to think more seriously about why we see disparities in learning among children of color who are victimized by segregation and discrimination where the stresses related to that may in fact be adding to this problem. This is a, there's a reason why children whose families face tremendous adversity have problems learning. This is not simply a motivation problem. This is also affecting how the brain is developing. So this is a, a, a real wake-up call for paying attention 
to children who are um, dealing with stress without consistent adult protection. It, it's a wake-up call for educators to think about not only the importance of early language stimulation and rich learning experiences, but building coping skills in children who face significant burdens more than, than most other children and helping children develop a sense of safety and mastery, not just because it's a nice thing to do. I mean, that, that should be motivation enough, right? That it's, I mean, when children are in trouble, we have a moral responsibility to help them. Um, and should have an emotional reaction to want to be supportive. But what the science is telling us is that there's a real threat to physical and mental health and to brain development. Um, and we need to be thinking about how we can provide a sense of security and safety and protection and the ability to develop one's own coping skills. And we will have, um, we will make a big dent in the achievement gap in education and we will make a big dent in the disparities in health that we see related to social class. Dr. Shankoff, every time you come on this this show, it's the marriage of science and education and all the disciplines. It's, it's, it's so illuminating. Where can people find more information about this particular subject at your website? So um, certainly the, the website for our center, um, developingchild.harvard.edu, um, is, um, is a place where you can find a lot of material that we've put together um, to basically make complex science understandable to non-scientists. Um, and uh, I think that would be a good place to start. Um, obviously, this is, a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, this is all part of an educational process of, of bringing science to policy and to practice um, to not only reinforce the good things we're doing, but always, always, always ask the question of where are we going next? What's the next era going to look like? And this offers tremendous possibilities for new strategies and, and more creative, innovative ideas in the education side and the health side. Dr. Jack Shankoff, one of our favorite guests, our only guest who's come back second time. Thank you so much for appearing on the EdCast. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.